What's up, birds? Sending it back in along the left-hand side. 7.40 to go. Puck in front. Connolly with a chance. And they score! They score! The puck on a rebound for Lars Eller! Eller gets the rebound and puts it home. And Washington leads it. 4-3 with 7.37 to go. The Tiger pouncing at the moment that he can potentially be the hero. Welcome back to Jay Prisoner Radio. I'm your host, Greg Young. And uh, today we are welcoming a longtime friend of the podcast back to Jay Prisoner Radio. Uh, aside from Adam Stringham, who also joins me here, that was kind of a lame intro. Uh, Rob Parker joins us. Uh, and Rob, how are you doing today? Great. Ready for my triumphant return to Jay Prisoner Radio. My takes on Tom Wilson were before their time, and Adam Stringham tried to cancel me. It didn't work. I'm coming back strong. <laughs> the, uh, the the cancel cult. I I refuse to talk about cancel culture on Japers Rink Radio. But uh, the, uh, the I just the, had the, to make the one joke. Yes. No. There you go. <laughs> no, no, no. That makes sense. That makes sense. And uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll not cancel any takes because I'm not that good at audio editing. So we'll uh, we'll <laughs> I, there will be no takes that are edited out unless there's something really bad. So uh, there you go. So. Uh, I guess, um, Adam, uh, how are you doing? We'll, we'll also oh, ask good. about you. You're, good. You're, you're here. Uh, hanging in here. Just uh, living life. There you go. There you go. And uh, you're uh, I, I, everything these days in Texas is kind of back to back to pre-winter storm these days, right? Yeah. You know, we're just ignoring COVID and uh, just there back to there you go. Yeah, it's uh, very exciting. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, you could go to a full restaurant right now. Like, there, the, the possibilities are... That the possibilities and ways to get COVID right now are kind of limitless. So, uh, so you, you have all that before you. Uh, but Rob, um, so it's been a uh, couple of years since you've been on Japer's Rank, but radio. But uh, I guess like kind of, uh, I noticed you've uh, been really kind of starting to hop back into the caps. So, uh, the, I guess uh, like what 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 have you been up to in the uh, in the interim since uh, your last appearance? And I think it was 2017-18. Yeah, well, a long time. Life is crazy. I've I've moved, um, had some family changes, and and then now watching the the evolution of the Caps from Barry Trotz through Todd Reardon and now into to the Laviolette hockey. But uh, I think the the hockey evolution is much more interesting than my my personal evolution. No, but, yeah, watching from a bit further away than I have historically. Uh, but it's nice to have uh, Caps hockey in the afternoon. So I'll say that's pretty great. That is that. Yeah, I'm very jealous about that. Uh, so speaking of ways that we uh, consume Caps hockey, because all of us are uh, not in the great uh, city or vicinity of Washington, D.C. So one of the things that just happened is ESPN just announced that they have acquired the rights to the NHL uh, for seven years at 400 plus million dollars. The most important thing I think to us is that NHL TV is going to be no more and it's going to get folded into ESPN plus. But I guess, Rob, you go first. What, when you heard of the deal, kind of what, what was your reaction to it? Well, it's great for access. I mean, obviously ESPN is a powerhouse. It's going to bring more eyes. Um, you know, presumably it'll be more games on the TV. Hopefully that's, that's the purpose, but you know, frankly, I prefer to use NHL TV. We'll see what the ESPN three package looks like. 
Um, so I'm not totally convinced that it's a win for the committed fans that already were buying the package. I'm mm-hmm. also a little worried about uh, how hockey's going to fit within ESPN's priority structure. Uh, you know, they put all the money in, so presumably they're going to want to get it on TV. And, and you see historically when ESPN puts money into things, they push them. So I'm hoping that that's the way it goes. But it'll be really sad if ESPN buys up the contract, takes priority on the airwaves, and then doesn't push the game the way we all want to see it. You know, one of the great things about NBC uh, as being a partner with the league is they've been just pushing games on TV, multiple channels, basically every playoff game was finding it onto one of their networks. So really hoping ESPN keeps that commitment to not just forcing people to go through their ESPN3 channel or whatever, and that we can actually take advantage of the, the ESPN network and their ability to push the game. But uh, their track record with respect to hockey is um, not something that I think, you know, they deserve the benefit of the doubt necessarily. So I'm kind of in wait and see mode. mode. But in general, I think coming back to the largest uh, American sports network is is a win for the league. There you go. Yeah. And uh, Adam, I know that uh, we've both had Greg Wyshynski on this podcast, and uh, I would imagine there's probably no one smiling more these days than Greg Wyshynski, who presumably is in for quite a role expansion. But uh, I guess kind of you've been interacted with various ESPN people and all that. Kind of what, what was your thoughts uh, when you when you heard about the deal? Uh, you know, I thought the deal was interesting. I, I mean, I definitely had some of the reservations that, that Rob mentioned uh, chiefly, actually, not at all relative to the coverage, but just, uh, you know, I, I've had NHL TV since uh, I was a freshman in college, uh, back when it was Game Center Live. I mean, it's always a service I really enjoyed. Um, I, I kept it after I was done with college and used it to watch out-of-market games a lot. And, and it, it will be definitely be weird and a bit of a transition uh, using something else, but hopefully the service is, is just as strong. Um, I, I'm not really worried about what, what sort of coverage we'll get from ESPN in terms of um, you know, they're writers. I mean, I think Greg Wyshynski has always done great work. He's a friend of the show. Um, you know, they definitely let some talent leave over the last couple of years, uh, end up places like the athletic and, and stuff like that. Um, the big thing, as Ron mentions, is going to be how much are they going to push the product? Um, what I've kind of seen on Twitter again, have not looked into this much at all today, but was, uh, saying that it looked like they they weren't going to put a ton of regular season games on ESPN. Um, and, and if that is the case, that's a little unfortunate. Uh, definitely want to see them pushing a product. And truly, again, as Rob said, you would expect them to push a product with the price tag that they paid, which which I believe was almost double what NBC was paying per year. Yes, I think it's exactly basically exactly double when I when I looked at it. It's because uh, I think the original deal was for 10 years and uh, 200 million, which. Part of the problem with that deal, of course, when you do it that way is when TV rights go up, and they did very much over the 10 years, you're stuck with a 10-year exclusive contract with one provider, and that's not exactly uh, – not that I really care that much about the NHL business, but, I mean, we all do a little bit, obviously, being NHL fans and wanting it to see the league at least kind of increase its footprint. No, Adam? Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to see the league get bigger, want to see the league grow. Um uh, you know, Bettman's already saying stuff about how, you know, the escrow offset for not having fans this year will more than uh, take care of any of this additional revenue. So the salary cap is still going to stay flat, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, it, it's a nice deal. I think it will be good for them to be on ESPN. Uh, I, I don't think this is going to be a game changer for hockey. Uh, I think it's funny. You go back and look in the 90s before Michael Jordan like really took off and how, how close kind of the NHL and NBA were in popularity. 
Uh, obviously, the NBA has ballooned. Uh, you can argue how much that's due to ESPN. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. But hopefully the NHL can kind of get some of that shine, uh, try to get closer kind of where basketball is today. Um, but, but I think that'll be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's pretty clear. So flipping the page to the Washington Capitals, because this is a Washington Capitals podcast, so we need to uh, discuss the, uh, the primary topic at hand here. So I guess, Rob... It seems like the Caps have been playing pretty well recently. Uh, they, as we're recording this, they uh, did win, although blew a three a three goal lead against the uh, actually two separate three goal leads against the New Jersey Devils. So I guess kind of kind of where are you at on the Caps these days, and how do you kind of contextualize blowing a three goal lead to a bad hockey team, kind of with with your overall thoughts on the team? Well, I mean, I don't think most of us would say that we've seen their best hockey yet. I mean, the last little stretch has been much better minus that one Boston game. Um, but at the same time, they're getting used to a new coach. They've got, you know, the, the COVID taxi squad, a lot less practicing. Um, so there's some, you know, mitigating factors. They haven't had a full lineup really until the last couple of weeks. Um, but at the same time, blowing a three goal lead is not new to this team. They blew, they've blown three goal leads multiple times this year. They have blown leads throughout, you know, the Ovechkin era. Um, and then before that, you know, it may have been another decade since they even had a lead. So, you know, it's not new. <laughs> yeah. The whole country club culture to this team is just not new at all. So I'm not surprised to see him blow leads. I mean, maybe a little exasperated. I was watching that game last night and I was just like, you watch the way they came out in the third and you're like, here we go again. Not to be fatalist. I'm not that kind of fan where just one goal means you're going to, you're going to fail, but you're watching the way they're playing. And you're like, I've seen this story before. Now, sometimes they don't blow it and they, they manage to hold on to the win. Great. Um, but they blow leads all the time and it's hard to hold leads in this league. You, they're not the only team. I mean, Toronto blew five goal lead to Ottawa. So it does happen. Teams push the play score effects are a thing for a reason, but it's just hard not to notice that over time, this core group of players just does not have, the mindset to keep the foot on the gas when they're winning. And if it looked like the other night or last night that New Jersey really just came out like hair on fire and, and it was a team where you're like, man, no one's going to stop them. Like the Boston game after the Tom Wilson hit, it was like they were so fired up. You're like, man, that was a steamroller. OK, the New Jersey Devils are not a steamroller. Right. So there should be no reason where they come out hair on fire and the Caps can't play with them. They weren't winning battles. They weren't moving their feet. They weren't playing with speed. And the Devils came back and made them pay for it. Frankly, they were lucky to get to overtime uh, to give Vrana the space to get that game-winning goal. So, you know, there's two things. There's the transition to Laviolette hockey, which I think has been bumpy at times. But frankly, they're right there at the top of the division. And given what's going on, it's hard to be disappointed with that. And then there's these persistent traits that have stuck with this team going back to at least the beginning of the Alex Ovechkin era. And those are, I think, a little bit more troublesome, although – you know, are they fatal? Apparently not because, you know, they've won president's trophies. They've won the Stanley Cup. So, you know, they may have to play through it. But that's something that, you know, is, is just endlessly frustrating for a fan. Yeah. And Adam, I want to spin this forward a little bit and ask about because uh, our our own uh, uh, masthead and uh, founder of the blog, John Press, has been writing up a storm lately. And one of his uh, most recent pieces was kind of evaluating uh, the Caps play both uh, from like a shot share, but also a goal perspective. Uh, 
from when they're trailing versus when they're ahead versus when they're tied. So I guess like, I, I know Adam, you wanted to talk about this. So kind of like what, what, what's been your impression, at least this year focused with when the Caps have had a lead versus when they haven't. So, you know, kind of John's big takeaway from the piece is that goaltending has been just awful, right? When the Caps have had a lead, even when you adjust for shot quality. And I think that that, that is interesting because honestly, from watching, that's not what I expected right? Uh, it doesn't look like the Capitals are necessarily giving up more expected goals against. They're not giving up more general shots. Um, a bit of an uptick in high danger shots, right? And scoring chances. But it, it, again, it's just, I mean, the numbers are what the numbers are. And, and they say the Capitals goaltending is is just abysmal when they have the lead. And that's not the case when the game is tied. They've great goaltending when the game's tied. Um, so, I, I mean, I I'm curious to get what your guys' take on it. I mean, to me, again, from watching, that's not what I expected. Uh, I mean, the New Jersey game is a perfect example where, I mean, the Capitals didn't look like they were doing just as well defensively as they had done earlier. And and I didn't think they did that in the games at the start of the year against Pittsburgh when they blew these big leads. Um, You know, Rob, what what are you seeing? I mean, do you think it's just goaltending or are the numbers kind of misleading us here? I mean, the numbers are the numbers, like you said. I think they are misleading, though, because um, they're not playing as well with the lead, at least in some cases. There's a couple of games where maybe it was just a one-goal lead in a close game, and the opponents came back with a couple of quick goals right after the Caps went up fine. Um, you know, but overall, I, I don't look at a lot of these goals and say that was totally goaltending. Yeah. Um, it may be they're going hand-in-hand. They're not getting saves while they're not playing defense. We also have to remember we're, we're still pretty – early into a a young season, the sample sizes are going to be misleading for some teams and some metrics. And this could be that, but at the same time, they're not getting the saves. The numbers are telling you that. Um, But like, I didn't look at any last night where I was like, man, how did you not get that? Maybe the Mm -hmm. Severson one, but that one looked like it was through traffic, maybe got a little deflection. Um, But otherwise you got major breakdowns, you know, and, and it's nice to get a save from the goalie. And, you know, it's weird that Vanasek is, is making those saves uh, when they're tied. I don't know. You know, goalie is maybe the most mental position. It would be weird that he has some sort of mental tick that he stresses out with the lead. I don't know how you make it to the NHL if, if that's kind of your ability to handle stress as a goalie. But, you know, there are some quirks that, that can happen with players. They, they react to pressure differently. That's the human element to the game. But I don't look at this and say, you know, the Caps are blowing leads because they're not getting saves. I think it's pretty clear that there's a team effort in front of the goalies. And if anything, the goalies are just, you know, they're pitching in on the collapse just as much as everyone else. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's, it's interesting, too, to kind of look at it because we have two games. The, their two most recent games involved one game where the Caps actually played, I think, very well with the lead when they took the, when they were in Philly the uh, game before. And. I, like, Sam Stonoff made some good saves. Like, I think it was pretty clear. Like, in particular, there were a couple down low that were very athletic. But I think you would say the Caps probably had a reasonable amount of the play. And then when you blow a three-goal lead to a bad team, albeit a bad but interesting and maybe in certain ways tough for the Caps to handle kind of team, then I think that, that kind of gets magnified a little. But, I I, I mean, it, it is weird. And I think I, I'm, I'm with you, Rob, in the sense that, like, I don't know why there would be any particular reason why Vanacek couldn't make a save when they when they're trying to nurse a one goal lead versus when they're tied and trying to hang on to a point, something which happened a lot to the Caps earlier in the year. So, yeah, I guess I'm a little 
I don't I don't really know what to make of that aside from saying maybe Vanacek's playing a little bit better when it's tied than you would expect and maybe just a little bit worse when when they're ahead now. Yeah, maybe or it's just a just luck of the draw. I mean, there were definitely games earlier in the year where where he got them to the overtime to get that point. Um, but I mean, I, I, at this point, it's something to watch for sure. It's something to be aware of, but it's not something that I, I necessarily um, expect to continue and I'm super concerned about. Yeah. So I, Adam, I'm going to, I'm going to pitch this to you first and then we'll, we'll get Rob's input on this too. Rob, I know you were talking uh, a little bit kind of about how it's early to, uh, you know, obviously we can make some judgments here in terms of, you know, the caps under Laviolette, but it's, it's still early and they didn't have much of a training camp. And I mean, I know that Adam, when we talked to uh, Corey Schneider, who's going to be on next week, that he was kind of saying that the first couple of weeks you got, you need to be careful with your limits, you know, because the games were weird and not super well played. So I guess kind of at what point do you say, okay, like these are the judgments that we can start making about Laviolette and are they now, are they like, I guess kind of like, how do, how do you think about that question? Uh, I think it's a, all right, so it's a bit of a tough question, right? Because it's, it's, there are multiple aspects. So the first thing would be in a regular season, what is the threshold for when kind of your stats start being meaningful? And that's like 20 games played, right? That's when score adjusted, if I'm remembering correctly, that those were kind of uh, Michael Blake's McCurdy score adjusted numbers. That's when, you know, they kind of started having this really good predictive value about goal scoring for the rest of the year. I think it's defenseman too. It's like you say 140 even strength minutes, I think is the number that comes to my head or something. Yeah. I don't remember all of that stuff off the top of my head, but uh, it's again, they didn't, as you mentioned that none of the teams had a training camp, the caps had a new coach. Uh, I I don't really think we're quite there yet uh, on assisting Laviolette, at least from a systems perspective. Uh, I mean, who is putting in the lineup and stuff? Um, that's definitely something you can assess right now um, because it's kind of, I mean, he's, he's doing what he's doing. I mean, it, it doesn't really, I mean, I guess it would matter if some players aren't taken to the system as well as others. Um, you know, we, we can tell that Jacob Rana is, is not a guy he's relying on in when the Caps have a lead. He doesn't feel comfortable with that, with, with him on the ice. Um, and that's not the case for a lot of the, a lot of the other players. Um but I, I don't know. I mean, Rob has got a better eye for systems than, than I do. Um, Rob, when did you start feeling like you could start kind of assessing and digging into kind of what Lobby Lett's doing? Or is how how much do you think the team has left to pick stuff up? So I think there's there's kind of two facets to the question. I think the the first one, how are they going to play? I think you can say we, we basically know how they're going to play. You can watch and you can see what their breakouts are going to look like. You can see that if they feel like they've got a chance on the puck, they're going to forecheck heavy. If they don't, they're going to drop into the one-three-one, right? You you know that's how they're going to do it and what the style is going to be. What I don't have a good handle on, and I agree, I think this is a different year. No training camp, no practices. I don't know that the 20 games is going to be you know as predictive this year. But we don't know how they're going to execute against that system all year. And you know we've seen games that were pretty good. We've seen games that were disasters. They're still they, they look like they're still in that learning curve phase a lot of nights or, you know, certainly a lot of periods within games. And so where is that going to shake out? That's hard for me to tell. But I feel pretty confident understanding what Peter Laviolette, Washington Capitals hockey is going to look like from here on out. And now the question is, you know, does Jacob Vrana start to, uh, you know, adopt it better and maybe become more trustworthy 
uh, are some of these other guys like, is Nick Jensen going to continue to play lights out? If he is, then, you know, that would have been a surprise and, um, you know, maybe he comes back to earth, but if, if he's just one of those guys that really responds well to this kind of hockey and that happens all the time, certain players are better in certain systems that wouldn't necessarily surprise me, but that's the, that's the part that I'm kind of, um, withholding judgment to see how each individual player and the team as a whole gel within that system, I think is, is to be determined. And, and Samson, we, we have no idea what's going on cause he's just missed too much hockey and, and he hasn't looked great. Um, but I, I assume he's going to knock some rust off, get a little bit better. Um, Vanacek has been better than I've expected, but I don't look at him like he's the, the savior. Unfortunately, I don't think he's, you know, got it in him to carry a team really, but I think he can, uh, he can play within a really good team and give you the saves that you need. So, you know, if they play exceptionally well under this system, maybe he's good enough, but otherwise I think they're going to need um, some, some better goaltending and they certainly need more, um, consistent effort and execution from the top six. That I think is the most inconsistent, you know, you watch those bottom six lines and they are just consistently churning. They seem like they've kind of taken to the system. Uh, and now we need to see, you know, which of the talented guys, which of the scores are going to, you know, continue to, to uh, embrace the system and execute to it. Yeah. And I, I guess, Adam, I want to kind of pitch that question forward to you a little bit i mean we we've been we've watched a lot of you know laviolette hockey who do you think are some players that you think have really benefited under his system and maybe who are a couple you think have have kind of struggled uh well i think kuznetsov has actually played well i don't know if it's a mental shift for him or what i mean he's not producing offensively as much as we'd like him to but i mean he's looked much better defensively and laviolette's done a good job when he is putting kuznetsov on the ice giving them favorable uh, zone starts and, and, that, and that sort of stuff. I mean, Kuznetsov's been good enough defensively that I'm surprised we didn't see him on the ice at all in the third period, or, or barely on the ice on the third period against New Jersey. Um, you know, the, the Capitals really shortened the bench. They took Ron off, and they took Kuznetsov off, and um, I, I think that's, that's kind of interesting. But I, I think Kuznetsov's benefited a lot. Um, the new guys have all fit in really well into the system. Uh, as Rob mentioned, Jensen's like the easy, the easy guy. Jensen has been, I mean, he, he looked borderline unplayable at times last year. I mean, uh, it looked like Siegenthaler or, or, or really anybody else would challenge, regardless of handedness, would challenge for those kind of spots. And, and I can't imagine taking him out of the lineup now. I mean, and now he's got a goal for his name. You know, he, he does. Good, good goal. on him. You know, <laughs> he's tweeting that it's coming forever. And if he finally delivered for you, Greg, so. I was, I was very proud of that tweet. There you go. Thank you for, thank you for the shout out. <laughs> yeah. You know, the only guy that I think, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Ovi's season was kind of derailed by not being able to play for so long due to the COVID exposure, but I, I haven't really loved what I've seen from Ovechkin so far this year. I mean, he just doesn't, he doesn't look like the, uh, the, the guy that, that I'm used to seeing. I mean, the only game that he's had that really, looked like Ovechkin to me was the game against the Flyers on Super Bowl Sunday um, where, where, I mean, he was, he was a force. He took over that game. Capitals played well enough to win. And, and he was the reason why. And um, unfortunately it's uh, we're, those kind of efforts have been few and far between. And I don't, I don't think he's just fallen off completely off of a cliff here. Um, I, I think there's something else going on and, and hopefully it's just taken him a little bit to kind of, transition into this system 
Yeah. Yeah, he's always streaky, right? It just takes yeah. like ten days and he can pop in six or seven goals and he's right back there, you know, where he always is in the goal scoring. I agree. He's he's not been great this year. He had a good game against the Devils. Uh, I think that matinee yeah. after they got thrashed by the Rangers, that was a pretty good one. Um, the game where he kind of banged up his knee against the Bruins, I thought he played pretty well. I've made a bunch of snarky tweets about, you know, how the knee injury wasn't going to hamper his game, <laughs> given how he's been playing. But he ended up <laughs> he ended up coming through with that game. But I mean, he has just not been active and dynamic. He he's just um, been one of the the bigger disappointments in terms of the night to night. But you know, like you said, he's missed some time. He is he is older, and it, he's one of those players that once he gets hot, you know, who knows what can happen. But definitely, he's he's on the wrong side of the um, year over year change right now for the team. Yeah, Rob, I want to I want to ask you, uh, and I'm, I'm burying this in a little bit because I've gotten I'm a little bit tired of talking about this, but I do think it's it's an interesting kind of window into the kind of personnel decisions we were talking about Laviolette and that's Jacob Rana's ice time. And I, I know that we've Adam and I've kind of beat this into a dead horse a little bit, but I think last night was interesting because I like Laviolette has benched Rana or maybe not, or kind of it's unclear at times whether he has or hasn't, but last night it seemed to kind of come to a head in the sense that he goes off on a pretty bad line change uh, that Alan may talked about quite a bit on the post game, but like, you know, it's also that he comes out and scores the game winning goal in overtime. So I guess, it, how do you see this situation playing out? And do you think that Laviolette has kind of handled this like you would have liked? I'm, I'm going to just get it out there. I'm less concerned about uh, his ice time than, than most of the, the people I interact with on Twitter and, and in general. Uh, his even strength ice time, I think, was top seven right behind the other top six players in Eller, that makes sense to me. Um, shorting your bench with leads, that all makes sense to me. Uh, and, and obviously no one knows what's being said. So if, if Rand is not executing the way Laviolette wants him to, that that's the coach's prerogative. The thing that kind of bugs me about the New Jersey game is like, if you're going to sit the guy because he's not a defensive stopper, fine, I understand that. But none of the, none of the defensive stoppers were playing defensive stopper hockey either. You know, no. So at some point maybe throw the guy that's going to get the puck to the other end of the ice out there. Cause he's one of those dudes where this is why I was kind of arguing that you don't need to play him with fast players because you can just alley-oop the puck to center ice. Now it's a foot race. And next thing you know, at the very least you're putting their D on the heels and you can get the puck to the other end and maybe play a little four check. Right? So if your defensive players have been locking it down and the devils weren't getting a sniff, fine, keep sitting them. But when the defensive players are also getting their ass cycled, then what do you have to lose? And then the minute you bring him back into the game, now, of course, it's three on three. He's got, you know, miles of ice to skate in. He he comes through with those kind of dynamic plays that can change a game. So in general, him being where he is on the even strength ice time list against the rest of the forwards seems about right to me. Um, I also don't think his game has been super consistent. I know people want to point at his rate stats over the season. He's obviously producing but there are games where I feel like he's just invisible. And then there are games where like every single shift he is dynamic. And I think he should be dynamic every shift just because of his speed. He obviously doesn't have like Connor McDavid hands and things like that, but his speed is right up there with the elite in the league and he's got a good shot. So if he uses that speed directly all the time, get those pucks out to neutral, let him put defense in, in a tough spot, get him on the four check. If he's doing that, yeah, he should be playing. But he's scoring when he plays like that, and he's invisible when he doesn't. And I can completely understand why a coach would be frustrated and would say, 
I'm going to continue to cut back your ice time until you get the message that I want you to play that kind of hockey, not this kind of hockey. And, and so in general, I'm good with it. I think the devil's game was, was probably the outlier just because the rest of the team was also getting stomped. So what do you have to lose by, by giving him a chance to maybe go play some offense? Yeah. And Adam, I want to, I want to ask you, cause I, I have your, your pinned tweet in my head as I ask this question. And I think you know the question that's coming. Uh, I, it seems like uh, with Rana, the, the logical comparison is at times the way that various Washington Capitals coaches tweeted or treated Andre Burakovsky. So I guess kind of compare and contrast that a little bit. Like, how do you think those players and how their ice time has been changed? Do they, do they line up at all? Do you think there's some differences there? So I think it's a, it's a really interesting question because when Rob was talking about Verona, it reminded me a lot of Burakovsky, right? That's a guy that, that Rob, when we used to do our rink wraps, you used to talk a lot about Burakovsky's rate stats, especially those first few seasons, right? He was, uh, on a goals per 60 and points per 60 level, he was producing at elite levels given his ice time. and But the consistency was never there, right? And it felt like sometimes that was his own fault. Sometimes he was, especially his first season, he, he was hampered a little bit by maybe some coaching decisions, putting him in a position where he wasn't necessarily uh, in great shape to succeed, Right. You know, when he was playing center for extended periods, out, out taking a third period draw against John Tavares in the defensive zone, uh, stuff like that. So he, he is he is definitely um, a good point of comparison for Vrana. Um, Vrana's Vrana is is better at one individual thing than I think Burakovsky is at any individual thing. And that and that is just as Rob pointed out, his speed. Um, Vrana is a is like Burakovsky, a game breaking talent but Vrana can create space like Carl Hagelin except he might actually be able to do something with it right um, <laughs> our obligatory Rob... Carl Hagelin can't finish moment <laughs> exactly yeah, Carl Hagelin like eight years ago speed yeah yeah exactly <laughs> I mean that overtime game winning goal against New Jersey was just was was fantastic he I mean he had the fresh legs coming off the bench cut around the defender um, I mean really it was shocking how much separation he was able to create uh, considering, I mean, he had just gotten on the ice, right? I mean, there wasn't a lot of room for him to get up to speed, and he did it um, and, and scored his second goal of the night. Um, I mean, it, it is an interesting point of comparison, but Verona has gotten top six ice time consistently since he's kind of really established himself on the roster, and Burakovsky wasn't necessarily getting that. Um now, Rana's ice time is still low, right? Even though it, it does make sense, and Rob is a is a good point. I mean, with him being seventh or whatever, that does not feel wrong. Um, but at the same time, I mean, if, if this guy's going to net you another 10, 15 goals a year, I mean, that's probably a bit much, but let's say I give him like five to 10 goals, if you just give him an extra three, four, five minutes a game, are you able to do that? Like, should he be getting those minutes instead of someone else? I mean, and, and I think you can start to make that case um, that maybe Vrana is is better than his amount of ice time is, but it, it doesn't feel like he's being kind of, he's not being cast aside and punished in a way that we saw Burakovsky early in his career. And also remember, Vrana's not like early in his career anymore, guys. This, he's been around for a while now, uh, even though he was drafted in the same year as uh, Vanacek. Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing, this the uncomfortable kind of elephant in the room, when you look at the ice time spread, 
the person that's taking Brianna's ice time is most likely Ovechkin. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I, there's I, I, all I, sorts I, of moving parts, but if, <laughs> if, if you want to look at who's taking the ice, it's Ovi. And I'm, again, I told you, I'm not that impressed with Ovi's game on the whole this year. So I personally am okay sitting Ovi more and letting Brianna play more. I understand that that's a really difficult decision for the coaching staff and, and the organization to make. I, I try to look at these things a little less sentimentally. Obviously I, I had a little, you know, back and forth a few nights ago when uh, I forget who it was suggested that Ovi might get a raise on his next contract. My God, um, you know, but the reality is that's the guy in the organization there. I mean, there may never be another more important capital. So saying that you want to sit Ovi so you can play this kid more, that's what you're saying when you're saying that you want him to run at the skate more. And that's fine if that's the position you want to take, but let's be you know clear about what the trade-offs are when we're saying play Brandon more. It's not take Hathaway off the ice more. Hathaway is not the guy taking ice time from him, right? Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I, think that's I mean, fair. you could probably get Vrana. What he could he could slot in over. I mean, it's not just over. I mean, yeah, it would be Ovi would be the big guy, but I mean, there's some other wingers we could definitely see him get in there. Over. Oh no, you could conceptually. I think it was just comparing kind of. You know, it looked like Ovi was a minute, minute and a half yeah. over what you would have expected at even strength. Brana is about a minute, minute and a half under. So just that, you know, again, players are, are moving parts and fungible to some yeah. degree. But um, that's really the 90 seconds that you're looking at is the extra 90 that's going to Ovi. And so, you know, that that's the only point I want to call out. You're, you're basically calling to sit the captain a little bit more if you're saying, you know, Brana needs to get another 90 seconds of even strength ice time. Yeah, I mean, you could tweak it maybe and say, okay, maybe Connor Sheary should get 20 seconds less a game or something. But yeah, I mean, that's fair. Like the that's not going to ultimately be the thing that bumps Rana's ice time up into like the top three or four among caps forwards. So that's exactly, fair. it's it's two shifts over a game. You know, if you're exactly. talking about Connor Sheary, you're talking about half a shift over a game. Yep. So you know, these numbers are are small enough that it's not really moving the needle a whole lot, in my opinion. It's not like, you know, like String said, it's not like he's getting benched like Burakovsky or some of the other, you know, younger guys that we've seen, you know, in the past with the coaching staff. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we are going to take a quick break. And on the other side, I'm sighing. We're going to talk about Tom Wilson. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, the mess that is the uh, Eastern Conference. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Javers Drink Radio. Still here with Rob and Adam. And uh, Rob, I'm sighing. It's time to talk about Tom Wilson and the hit. Uh, I, I guess the only reason like, you got me back. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had we had reached out. I think before the hit had happened. I'm like. Yeah, you did. You did. Five percent sure. All right. Uh, so of course. Tom Wilson has uh, been suspended for seven games. Uh, he has served two games of the seven-game suspension, and it was announced he's not going to appeal the suspension. Uh, Caps are 2-0 and since he was suspended, but I think before we talk about kind of the impact, I guess kind of what did you think, Rob, about the suspension itself? Uh, I mean, the suspension is clearly reputation-driven. It has nothing to do with the hit at all. It, it's all because it's Tom Wilson and because – the Bruins cried to high heaven that Carlo went to the hospital and hope he's good. Hope he's fine. Right. No, no problem. You know, no problem sending there if he needed to be there. The, the gamesmanship in the media is a little distasteful for me, but it's obvious that that hit didn't deserve seven games in any sort of objective standard. It's also just as obvious that there is no sort of objective standard for the NHL. The hit was a board. I don't think it was legal. I am fine calling it a penalty. His hands were up. He got the dude in the head. It wasn't a rule 48 targeting the head, but it was a bad hit. And if you're coming in hot on a vulnerable player, 
The onus is on you not to clock him in the head. And if he'd put his stick on the ice, he would have been fine. But he had his hands up, and that puts him, you know, in the line of fire of, of Department of Player Safety. Fine. But you see that hit every freaking game. And the reason it was a big deal is because the guy got hurt and because Tom Wilson is so much more violent than everyone. Everyone talked about the Komarov hit on Eller. That was a hundred times worse of a hit. Go look at the Wallstrom hit against whoever it was on the Bruins last night. And then Marshawn dropped, uh, jumped him. That was a worse hit. These, these hits that you see all the time where you're chasing a guy towards the board, staring at his name the whole time and you still finish the hit. Those are all way uglier than what Tom Wilson did. And you see guys pinned against the boards and just get targeted in the corner every single game. This was just an unfortunate result. And the NHL is saying unfortunate result plus Tom Wilson equals however many games we pull out of the hopper. When you want to talk about that hit, like at least it was a hockey play. He was trying to do something legitimate within the game. The hit against that unnamed penguin scrub was less legitimate, in my opinion. That was not the a Jankowski hockey play. Jankowski one, if I remember the, correctly. There was, uh, there was no reason the, the one where he, the guy tried to swat it out of the air and then Wilson hits him like two and a half seconds later. Yep. The guy yep. the guy left the ice for a little bit and he came back. Now, if he goes to the hospital and Sullivan is out there crying about it, then who knows? Maybe he gets suspended for that hit. But that guy came back to the game and whatever. That wasn't a hockey play. That was garbage. That was that was a far less justified hit, in my opinion. But the result was different. And if the NHL is going to continue to legislate based on the results, they're never going to get an objective standard. And that That's just a... a positive statement not a normative statement the league can do whatever they want and that's fine but we're going to continue to go around this merry-go-round as long as they put more emphasis on the result than the actual hit the actual hit absolutely did not deserve seven games that's fine if they want to throw one or two at him because uh, it was a board and he did get him in the head and he does have a history okay but like you can't watch very many nhl games and really think that that hit stands out as far as every Everything until Carlos stayed down on the ice. Everything until that point, it looks like a standard NHL game. Uh, it just so happens that Tom Wilson is unique in the NHL. Uh, very few players are unique in the NHL, but Tom Wilson is one of them because he is so fast and so violent. And, and that just creates a, a challenge for the league to, to adjudicate him. But they're not doing it, I don't think, in a way that provides any real clarity as to what a legitimate hockey hit is or is not. And I mean, it's it's not new. We've been dealing with this for as long as we've been dealing with the Department of Player Safety. So uh, unfortunate for him. But at the same time, you know, you made your bed. You've got to get the message. Keep your hands down. You know that if you do anything suspect on a hit, people are going to be looking at you. And so, you know, in this case, he he was he put himself in the jackpot and he's paying the price because, uh, you know, Carla was unfortunately injured. Yeah, well, uh... So, Adam, I, yeah, I, th- I think Rob was pretty comprehensive. If there's anything you want to add about Wilson, to- totally fine. But also, I was going to kind of ask, it seems like the uh, the Caps have, uh, I think it was actually a pretty simple roster move. Honestly, there wasn't a ton of shuffling. It was basically just putting in Daniel Sprong for Tom Wilson. Uh, so, I, I guess kind of like what, what's been your impression with Sprong being in the top six? And uh, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on the hit, feel free to, uh, feel free to share them. No, no, just starting out, I mean, Rob did a great job there. I mean, uh, when I mentioned Zach Austin Reese or whatever, I was talking about the hit a few years ago in the playoffs. I was thinking all the way back then to kind of how Wilson ran around a little oh, bit. Oh, that hit was fine. That that guy saw him and tried to jump into him. That was that was a hockey play, and that was completely legitimate. Again, dude broke his jaw, so he gets a, he gets a suspension. But that exactly. guy was looking at him and braced and went into the hit. 
That was not a predatory hit on an unsuspecting player. That one, I think, was actually the worst suspension of his career. I was talking about the, just the other night when yeah, no, you know, he clocked yeah. that guy a couple seconds late. There's, uh, Wilson hits are uh, they kind of can get lost in the in the in my memories. But uh, you know, I, I think another part of it, the NHL didn't mention it either, and, and maybe I'm the only one who was thinking about this. I mean, we saw the game before, right? The, the, the stuff with Ovechkin and uh, whatever the no name guy is on the Bruins. Frederick, I think. Yeah. yeah I thought, thought he was a big shit. Um, to just kind of stepping it up and, and, and it looks like Wilson was trying to make a physical impact on the game more so than usual. Right. Um, I think if you watched that entire shift that led up to the hit that got him suspended, um, he had a few other hits that, you know, again, typical in the run of play, but it, it was clear he was, he was trying like to, punch some guys like through the boards i mean he, he was going in hard uh, like and again because of his size and his strength like almost looked reckless to me just, just only but again in hindsight i'm going back and re-watching it so i know what's about to happen after that and and i and i completely i mean elliot friedman came out right and it says said that insiders around the league are saying if it wasn't tom wilson just like rob said probably doesn't get suspended at all or maybe a game or two and um I think it's kind of justified that, that Wilson does get something though. Right. I mean, I, I certainly thought that, um, unfortunately kind of it, I, I mean, I, I just think he's the kind of player that sometimes the message has to be sent a little bit. Um, and I think it's ridiculous though, that that message was seven games in a shortened season, right. That equates out to about 10 games. You'd, you'd think it'd kind of be like, uh, the playoffs where it's very clear that they just suspend people for less games on a pretty nasty hit by nature of the individual importance of the games. Um, and I, and I kind of thought the NHL would have done something like that here. Uh, back to your actual question, Greg, uh, <laughs> Daniel Sprong is, um, I mean, he, he's a guy that I've been impressed with kind of his whole time here. Uh, part of that's probably cause I see Luke's tweets, um, on my feet all the time. And, and, and Luke is just all about Sprong. Well, but he is, that he is. <laughs> but I mean, if I remember correctly, Sprong was a second round choice out of, by Pittsburgh. And they were so pumped when they got him because it was a guy that they thought was going to be a first-round talent that they were able to get in the second round. And, I mean, a lot of teams say that, but, I mean, that, that, that I think, was a pretty common conception around the guy. He, he, he played with a lot of skill, um, and I think that's what we've seen with him here. I, I mean, I think he's a kind of a breath of fresh air. I enjoy watching him play. Um, he, he doesn't seem out of place kind of wherever they put him. Um, and, and frankly, I think he's the best 13th forward the team has had in, in quite a few years. Um, you could definitely make a case that he's a better better kind of just player than some of the guys that are in the lineup. But in terms of utility, there are guys that uh, do provide some things that he doesn't, right? You can't really put him on the penalty kill. Um, and then it, you think, you know, if, if you're in the bottom six, you essentially have to be able to be on the penalty kill. Um you know, unless you're a true offensive talent. So uh, I, I'm happy to see Sprung in the lineup. I think he's great, and I, and I think he'll do great things for the Capitals while Wilson's out. Um, and, and I do want to say for all those, the, the one thing is all the Caps fans, that when Kuznetsov was out and the team were, were, was, was winning, were saying, oh, you can see they don't need Kuznetsov, which is, you know, obviously ridiculous. You know, I haven't seen them say that with Wilson being out when the team's been winning. So... You know, <laughs> maybe just don't do that kind of post hoc analysis of, you know, your five game samples when the team wins or loses uh, with one guy out of the lineup. It, it's a bit crazy. I can't believe, Adam, that you would be saying that fans might be overreacting to a small sample size. That's uh, no, never, I, I've, I've never, never heard that happen. <laughs> no, not once in my life. Oh, before I forget, I did want to ask Rob, 
you, you mentioned earlier, Rob, kind of Vanacek and, and coming in, and he can kind of hold down the fort for a little while. Uh, you, you then kind of talked about in a good system, you know, he might be able to get the saves that they need. But he kind of reminds me of like a Brent Johnson type of, of a guy that was able to kind of take the spotlight for a little bit at a time and play well in those minutes. But then if he stayed for too long, he kind of fell apart. And, and that's kind of what I see with Vanacek, because I think teams will figure him out because the rebound control is just not there. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking Neuwirth as well, kind of the yeah, contrast between Neuwirth yeah. and Varlamov. You know, Varlamov always showed that talent that he could get hot and just carry you. Neuwirth, you know, other than almost bringing the Flyers back from 3-0, never really showed that. But he always showed if you need a reliable goalie in front of a good team, he's not going to lose a game for you. But but you're not going to get that, you know, 20-game streak that takes you to the Stanley Cup either. Um, you know, whether if he doesn't get the rebound control under – uh, under wraps, then it's he's not even going to be that for very long. You know, Neuwirth, uh had actually very good rebound control, which is why he was able to be the kind of positional goalie that he was. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, he's not that guy. And, and if they play the Peter Laviolette hockey that we've seen in their good games, he's good enough. If they play it in the bad games, then they need a guy who can be that lights out, you know, stopper um, you know, for sure. Yeah. All right, well, Rob, I'm going to pitch this back to you, and then we'll, we'll go over to Adam. Um, so right now in the uh, – we're going to kind of zoom out a little bit here uh, to the East as a whole. Uh, right now, if you look at the standings to the East, uh, there are – I think realistically we were going to say, okay, it's going to be the Caps, Penguins, Flyers, and Islanders that are four teams for three spots. But since then, the Bruins have actually come back down to earth a little bit, granted with less games played. And uh, they seem like they're in that mix too. So we have seven teams that are all probably that are playoff caliber teams within a, you know, a a seven point kind of point differential with each other. So I guess, Rob, how do you see this shaking out? Do you you see any one of these teams is clearly worse than the others or kind of kind of what what are you expecting here? Uh, so the Bruins are clearly better than the others. They've come back to earth, but they're the best team in the division. Um, I still expect them to finish in one of the, the top two spots. It's a short enough season that someone could get hot and, and take the division. Like the Islanders are on fire right now. I don't think that they're that team. They're not the they're not the worst of the group. Um, you know, right now the the depth and the way they're playing, uh, I would say the Penguins are the worst of the group. But they've also got you know Crosby and Malkin and Latang who can put them you know, over the top long enough to go on a run, but between their defense and the goaltending, I think they've got the biggest weaknesses of that group. Uh, unless the caps, you know, play like, you know, bad laviolette hockey, then they're, they're clearly the worst, but any team on their bad day can be the worst team in the league. Right. Um, so I, I look at penguins as kind of the, the most vulnerable of that group. Um, you know, the Islanders are going to get great coaching. They've got, you know, pretty good depth through the lineup, not necessarily the top end after Barzal, but, it's like every single line can hurt you. Um, and so, you know, their defense is really good. I thought they would, they would uh, feel the loss of Taves more than they, they have. Um, so I think they're right there. I think the Flyers are still very good. Um, so I, I would say if there's, there's a clearer odd man out, the Penguins look like they're probably the one below the line. Um, so I think those are the only five that I, I really consider. Like Bruins, Caps, Flyers, Penguins, Islanders. I think it's going to come down to those, those five teams for the four spots. There you go. There you go. And uh, Adam, any 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 one team stand out positively or negatively among that bunch? Uh, no. Well, I mean, the Bruins are, in my mind, clearly the best team uh, of uh, the division. Um, 
you know, past past Renek is just he's amazing. He's great. Brad Marsh on the worst. I hate that guy. Uh, <laughs> may, may, I mean, just just a two faced individual. Just just uh, not not a pleasant human being in my opinion. Uh, at least when it comes to how how he. I mean, he he lives by his rap moniker, you know. It, uh, it sucks how good he is. You know what I mean? Like, it would be like one thing if he was just like a bad. Or it was like Ryan Reeves is not very good, right? So it like makes his antics, you know, annoying. But you're like, okay, at least you're terrible. But like the problem, I guess, with Marshawn is like he's one of the better players in hockey and still. We also look at you like some of those guys have to walk that line to yes. be in the NHL. Marshawn could be a Lady Bing winner and he'd still be an All Star because his talent is so nasty. So. I don't know the guy off the ice. Everyone is a different player on the ice from the off the ice. So I don't want to like judge him as a human, but his on ice moniker demeanor is just garbage. Uh, I mean, you look at, he jumped Wallstrom last night and uh, Wallstrom should have had to fight for that hit, but he got jumped. He didn't give him a chance to defend himself. Yeah. Mars Eller scores a goal in a blowout. He jumps him. When was yeah. the last time Marshawn willingly answered for his own fights and squared up and dropped the gloves in a one-on-one fight without taking an unfair advantage it doesn't happen the guy is a punk on the ice so whatever great player but you know the Bruins fans are going to defend him forever and they're they're calling for you know criminal charges against Tom Wilson that's just the name <laughs> of the game you yeah. hate your you, you hate their rat you love your rat that's that's hockey that's fine but the Bruins I mean not just that top line their, their depth is is incredible uh their goaltending is incredible their coaching is good no matter how much I hate you know Bruce Cassidy and think he legitimately is a garbage person mm-hmm. um you know, that is a pretty good hockey coach. Yeah, He's a good hockey coach, but he's a garbage person. Right. So, you know, um, we know that much. So this isn't, you know, his, his, his issues in the past were not heat of the moment. I'm a hockey player. I'm on the ice doing things. He was in a locker room calling out players for having pregnant wives, like get the fuck out of here, man. So, um, but he's a good coach and the team is great. So, so we agree there, you know, but um, after that, every team I think has, um, pretty identifiable weaknesses um, that make them vulnerable, and, it, and it's going to be a matter of uh, who gets hot, who gets the bounces, who gets the goaltending. I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, let me. I just want to clarify, Marshawn. Uh, when I talk about kind of off the ice, I'm more referring to comments he makes relative to hockey off the ice. Got it. Uh, kind of how, how he's just kind of uh, you know th- this stuff he goes out and says about Wilson's hit, and then he kind of goes out next night and cross checks the guy in the back of the head. Yeah, kind of a hypocrite. It's the story. Yeah, of complete. Yeah, doesn't know how to spell champion. Yeah, nice tattoo, buddy. He's also the guy who, uh, you know, I, I think back to the Caps Bruins series in the early 2010s, right? And he uh, got the diving that series from Brad Marchand. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Backstrom touches him once, and the guy acted like he has jaw broken in 50 places. I think. I mean, he's just a I mean, uh, uh, lots of hits. I don't know. There's a nice little highlight reel of Brad Marchand diving out there. If anyone's it's amazing, he can still draw calls. Same thing with like Corey Perry. How do the refs fall for these guys anymore? Like, yeah. it's unreal that, that they don't, like, catch on at some point and realize that these guys are just out here, you know, fucking making a show of it. Yeah, and then yeah. licking guys, you know, just to just play it Twice. out. But, <laughs> Twice. Twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, and the other way, Islanders, I, I mean, I think the Islanders are just, they're good, but I, I, I just, I still don't understand why they're good. I mean, Barzell's fantastic, but... Um, I, I don't know if they have the offensive prowess to win it all. Um, I don't, I don't, nothing about that roster impresses me still, except again, past kind of Barzell. And, um, I mean, what we'll, we'll, feels we'll like see. they're like chock full of 20 goal scorers after Barzell, you know, like, it, like 
they don't have they have a roster other, full of Jordan Eberleys, you know? Right, right. Like Brock Nelson, Anders Lee, like every one of these guys could score 20 goals in a year. They're going to be well coached. They play their game down low. And, uh, you know, at least when they play the Sabres, that fourth line can score, you know, five <laughs> goals in two nights. Yeah. I mean, everybody looks good when they're playing the Sabres a lot. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. it certainly helped the Capitals record early in the season, that's for sure. And I, and I will say this, too, on, on the Islanders, because uh, they're also like a 55% expected goals team, which is wild to me. But uh, they it's like I think one of the things we talk about, like pandemic and we talk about, like coaching being really difficult and variable right now. I, Barry Trotz has that team so well coached that they can just kind of roll out and play a perfect neutral zone four check and just kind of. And I, I think you saw that in the bubble as being very helpful as just like. They, as all teams were dealing with all this kind of crap, Barry Trotz just had them just so well trained and he kind of finds the players that will buy in and everything like that. It is, it is kind of remarkable to watch. Uh, I would also say, though, to kind of interject here just a tiny bit as the host, uh, watch out for the Flyers as maybe being not as good as people think. Like, they, I know, like, the Caps, I think, looked pretty good against them in their most recent game. And uh, you talk to a lot of Flyers fans and kind of people around the team a little, and uh, something's up there. Like, I, I think that they, losing Niskanen hurt them, I think, in ways that I maybe didn't totally anticipate. And uh, I, all, pretty much their advanced metrics across the board are terrible. So that's a, just a, and Carter Hart looks awful, too, which is fascinating to me. Uh, so that might be a team to keep an eye on. So, I guess, Rob, to kind of kind of conclude, um, I know that we had talked uh, a little bit. You tweeted about the uh, – so Ken Dryden, uh, the famous Montreal Canadiens goalie, uh, fa- uh, famed author of The Game, one of the best books on hockey you could ever read, uh, wrote a, an interesting article that maybe didn't get the buzz that I was hoping it would get about – goaltending and how goaltending got so good and what we can do about it. So I guess kind of explain his piece and kind of what did you think about his ultimate prognosis and diagnosis? Yeah. So, I mean, everyone should go read the piece. It's, it's very, uh, it's well-written. It's better than I'm going to be able to do justice for it. But essentially he's talking about the, the evolution of the game in the defensive zone and the, and in the crease in particular and how that has, pulled skill out of the game to the point where we have this game with Alex Ovechkin's and Connor McDavid's and Sidney Crosby's and the game has become a crash the net and throw the puck at the net and hope for a rebound or seeing eye shot game. It effectively takes the skill out of much of the game in the offensive third. Your skill is breaking the puck out, getting through neutral. But once you get to the offensive zone, everyone packs it in and you have to basically take your skill away and throw pucks to the net, which is kind of perverse. So what he analogizes to is the NBA game, uh, apparently back before the three-point line, I wasn't alive and I'm not really a big NBA fan, but it was dominated by big men and and the game just got clogged up down low um, and and you didn't have to defend anyone at the outside because they were just coming to the the hoop. Uh, The way he talks about that is everyone in the NHL is collapsing to the slot. There's no room uh, to score there. The NBA put the three-point line, created incentives for people to shoot from the outside. And once they started hitting those three pointers, defenders had to move out to go guard them, opening up some of the, uh, some of the court in the prime scoring areas. So when you look at hockey, how do you create more offensive playable ice? It's not by expanding the ice to international rinks because everyone's still going to collapse to the slot. So you can give another, you know, give players another 15 feet out on the boards, but they can't hurt you from there. So how do you make defensemen 
and forwards come out of the slot and force them to play defense on the point or on players on the half wall. And his suggestion is you make the nets bigger because the goalies aren't going to be able to just cover all of that. You're going to get more point shots going in. You're going to get more of those seeing eye shots. And when a point shot is you know, greater than like a 1.5% chance of going in, because now the goalies can't just drop to their knees and literally cover the entire bottom half of the net, then over time, defenders are going to have to come out. That's going to open up a slot in the ice. That's going to open up passing lanes. Um, so that is his, his perspective. And, you know, obviously increasing the size of the nets is a drastic change. A lot of purists are, are really um, turned off by the idea. I've always felt that it was kind of extreme and, and I would rather focus on some of the excesses of goalie equipment but the reality is the goalie union has won the equipment battle. Even if you can make some marginal improvements to the equipment, these guys are so huge and the safety concerns are legitimate. So you're never going to get goalies down to the size where there's actual legitimate open net to shoot at. So, okay. Uh, golf courses got longer because clubs got better. Uh, goalies, you know, have bigger equipment because, because people are shooting pucks harder so, okay, let's make some other changes to the game to bring the game into the modern era where you took away the two-line pass, we've changed other kind of rules. So if you open up the nets, make them larger in just the top-level play, that's going to give opportunities for shooters to score from the outside, which is going to open up everything else in the middle of the offensive zone and ultimately lead to a higher-skilled, more entertaining game. That, that was his basic um, argument, and, and apologies to where I got it wrong. And, and that persuaded me ultimately, because for me, it was never about create more goals. Goals as a, um, you know, end in themselves don't make the game more exciting. What makes the game more exciting is the tension, the back and forth. But goals do force teams to adjust. They, they open up games, they create momentum swings, um, and it makes it harder to just score a goal and then, you know, play Barry Trout's hockey and just, you know, buckle in and, and, and muck it up, right? So by persuading me that opening up the nets would open up the offensive zone and lead to more passing and shooting and, and actually entertaining hockey that leads to the goals. That's what um, persuaded me. I wouldn't, you know, when I was first reading it, I was like, I don't need to see a game where people are just bombing it from the point And now we're getting like six, five games because guys are just hammering it from 80 feet away and they happen to go in. But his, his follow-up point that after that happens a little bit and you have to defend that shot, that's what's going to actually open up the game. It's the second and third order effects from from widening and expanding the nets that, that would improve the game. So I think it's at least worth a look, whether it's preseason AHL or any of the other ways the NHL experiments with it. But it, it's time to, to do something where goalies can't just play this positional game and rely on just the most insane shots to, to have an eye or, you know, whatever, get deflected in. Yeah, and Adam, I guess kind of... The thing is a Washington Capitals fan, I think, is uh, I really wish this change had, or anything like this kind of change maybe could have happened uh, right during the fun gun years when the Caps were, you know, really, I think, kind of, I would say, you would say hampered by, you know, the lack of the lack of kind of offense and mucking it up and everything. But I think a more open style could have maybe fit the Caps personnel better. So I guess kind of say that right around the dead puck era, uh Gary Bettman goes and says, okay, we're going to make the Nets five inches bigger or whatever he's going to say. Then how do, how do you think that might have impacted the Caps or do you think it would have at all? Uh, 
it's a, it's an interesting question. I mean, well, I mean, l- l- let's just go forward a few years and say like the Capitals get Ovechkin, right, or something like sure. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mean, we'll, we'll, you, we'll we'll say they get all they have their current players. Just yeah, this I mean, if you've got a roster like the Capitals had, especially kind of during. I mean, you, you mentioned like the running gun years. I mean, a team like that would have been like the like the Oilers. I mean, in in you know their heyday. I mean, the Capitals were the most exciting team in hockey. Um, I mean, that was kind of what the Hockey News branded them. Um, they they were dynamic in transition, and uh, they had the best goal scorer, I, I mean, of all time. I mean, I, I truly believe that Ovechkin's 65-goal season in 07-08 is, is probably the most dominant individual uh, goal-scoring campaign kind of in hockey history. Uh, you kind of compare it to some of the other great seasons out there, and Ovechkin was just so far above all of his peers. Um you know that that the, it's it's hard not to think what could he have done, especially kind of in, in those, those those truly amazing kind of individual statistical years, if he had had an extra couple uh, inches of net to shoot at, right? And um, you know, a, a volume shooter like him got it. It, it, it he just scores so many more goals. But I, I mean, I I think the I mean I, I don't I mean the dead puck era. I, I don't know. Wait, we start talking about. Like the the coaches are always going to do whatever they can to limit stuff up, and and I'm sure we'd start getting a lot more penalties. Um, like teams will just do a lot of a lot of bullshit, and it'd be up to the NHL to call the call the rule book as it is. And it's kind of a similar problem we have now, where we're kind of it's no longer clutch clutching and grabbing; it's uh, more interference, right? We see guys kind of set picks or. Um, the guy's trying to dump it into the offensive zone, and, and the defense just steps up and, t- and takes the body after the puck's been gone for a few seconds, and, and that never goes called, right? That's just typical a typical hockey play. Um, but I don't, I don't have, a, I don't have a good like. What would have happened in in in, in, in X year? Uh, sure, know, I, it's hard to hard to. I, I don't know, Greg, but I, I do think <laughs> that any the Capitals played a high event system because they were they, they they just had a better offensive roster than any other team in the league. I, I truly believe that. Uh, for multiple, multiple years. And, uh, I mean, a higher event system where you'd have less goaltending impact just by nature of the league average save percentage probably being five or six points lower. It just, just again, top of my head math. Uh, we start talking about a team that is better, winning more. And, and if you, like like I believe, that the Capitals really were a better team than almost all of their opponents in, in those kind of run-and-gun years, um, you know, we, we're probably talking about a team that's won more than one Stanley Cup in the Ovechkin era. There you go. You 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 uh you you got where I was thinking you were gonna go, and uh, so I will uh will will end it there. Um, all right, Rob, this was a blast having you on, man. Uh, where can uh where can people find you and uh, your your various musings? Oh, you can find me in Strings Mentions. Yeah, there you go. I love it. <laughs> and if one were to look for said Twitter handle, where would be one place they could find it? Oh, let me let me see what my Twitter handle is. <laughs> Rob Parker underscore Jr. You guys good, good name know. for good name for a Twitter handle. I, I yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not the most uh, creative type out there. So, um, yeah, you guys there can you find me. And uh, Adam, where can people find you and your stuff? Oh, I'm on Twitter at Stringham A. I, I, I don't, I mean, I'm tweeting more than I was last year, but uh, I mean, most of my tweets last night were just semi snark about uh, how Ron's legs, Ron, yeah, Ron's legs were really well rested after the third, and that's why he was able to go out <laughs> in overtime. I, 
Oh. I, might, I might have had a tweet or two in that vein, too. And uh, you can find uh, me, uh, similar to Rob Barker, at, uh, at GregY underscore JR. And uh, if you like the show, please rate, write, subscribe, review. And uh, I hope you did like it, if you're still listening here, because uh, we are an hour plus into this podcast. Uh, if uh, You can find the show at, at Japers Rink Radio. And uh, if you like it, please give us a five-star review or whatever stars you feel necessary. Ideally five, hopefully. And... Uh, Next week, um, Adam and I are going to be welcomed by uh, Corey Snyder, uh, who's uh, making his second appearance this uh, this season. So uh, we're we're all excited about that, and uh, stay tuned.